Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. We drill for oil because that's the only way to get it, and we need oil to make diesel, and that is why we call the video podcast Drilling Deep. Is this a video podcast? Is that an accurate term? I guess it is these days. Anyway, we were just an audio podcast up until August, and now we're on video too. We drill deep also with a guest of the week, and this time we've got a good one. Of course, we always have a good one, but I am particularly excited about this one. He's John Luciani. And he is the chief operating officer of the LTL services at A. Dewey Pyle. They recently expanded their LTL footprint in the Northeast. And we're going to talk about what goes into a decision like that. What do you need to do? What do you need to be sure of before you take that leap? He'll be here in a minute. I am not ready to run out of days to talk about declining diesel prices. So where do we start? Retail prices are down, way down. The drop has been varied all over the country, but it's anywhere from 40 to 50 cents per gallon, depending on location, depending on the time frame. But as listeners and viewers of Drilling Deep know by now, retail prices are sort of schizophrenic. They are the prices that people care about the most, but they are also the ones that are kind of the least interesting because they lag the rest of the market by a lengthy period of time. So let's talk about what is going on with other prices and other data. On November 3rd, the price of ultra-low sulfur diesel on the CME Commodity Exchange closed just under $4 per gallon. Today, as I record this, it's solidly under $3 per gallon. That really is the most important price out there. Wholesale numbers do move with it, maybe not penny for penny, but pretty close. Here's another price. According to price reporting agency DTN, in mid-November, the price of a barge of ultra-low sulfur diesel in New York Harbor the price of a, a gallon on that barge was $1 per gallon more than the price of ultra-low sulfur diesel on the CME. That spread is important because it is a reflection of the physical market. Barge trading is generally conducted for product to be delivered in the next few days. For example, on a Tuesday, they're trading barges for delivery into the following week, also at the end of that week, and they are pricing it, but they are pricing it against the ULSD contract trading at that point which would be a month out. So if you're trading on, say, November 7th, you're trading it against a December price on, on the CME. Here in December, January is the front month. So if a physical market is really tight, it would show up in that spread between the barge and the CME price. It's usually, historically, a few cents. In mid-November, like I said, it was $1. You know what DTN says that spread is now? Less than one cent. There's plenty of diesel now. And why is that? Because demand is dropping pretty quickly for diesel. The latest EIA weekly report suggests that diesel demand over the last six weeks or so in the U.S. might be down as much as 10%. And that has happened as refineries were reacting to that dollar spread that I mentioned. Even if it wasn't a dollar, it was high. Other spreads were strong too. The last two weeks, refineries in the U.S. operated at more than 95% of capacity. That is a crazy strong number. So what has happened? We've got plenty of product now in the market. ULSD inventories are up more than 10 million barrels since early October. Granted, they were coming from a really low level, but folks, that's a lot of inventory build in not a lot of time. That's why the spread in New York Harbor was a dollar, and now it's pretty much disappeared. Refiners responded to incentives. The trucking market isn't all that great. The harvest season ended and demand is way down. The result is the big decline in diesel prices. There is sort of a general rule of thumb in energy markets 
just when everything seems to be spinning completely out of control, when TV hosts who don't know any better are talking about running out of diesel in 25 days, that's when market forces tend to kick in. Demand drops, supply picks up, and the worst tends to be over. Not always, but markets do react, and they have reacted here. Time to move on now here on Drilling Deep, as we always do. You know, here at Freightways, we get announcements of companies doing new things all the time. And the question for us is, which ones are interesting? And therefore, which ones do we write about or talk about on a Freightways TV show like Drilling Deep? So why did an announcement from LTL carrier A. Dewey Pyle catch my eye? The gist of the announcement was pretty basic, is that it had made its first expansion into West Virginia. It had earlier this year, earlier this year, it had added three LTL service centers over in Virginia. And now it could bring its services to West Virginia when you tie into the other, and, and also you would tie into other service centers in the Northeast to provide that, uh, that, that service to West Virginia. You know, I didn't care so much about West Virginia per se, but I, I always cared about what are the factors that go into a decision for a company to expand service, especially an LTL company, because a truckload c- c- carrier obviously can expand far easier. You know, it's, it's great to, to grow, but you have to have the ability to grow. So what did A. Dewey Pyle need to do in order to grow into West Virginia? I think that, that the answer to that question would reveal a lot of the decision-making process that would go into any sort of LTL expansion. So joining us today here on Drilling Deep is John Luciani. He is the COO of LTL Solutions at A. Dewey Pyle. He was involved in the decision-making to, to do this expansion, and he's going to talk with us today about what it takes for an LTL carrier to expand its footprint. So, John, welcome to Drilling Deep. Thanks, John. Good morning. So how long is the process by where you start to look at an area to expand in and actually doing it? Uh, from beginning to end, Is it a, we, do you measure it in weeks, months, years? No, it's, it's typically it's months. Uh, usually, you know, we, uh, our customers typically direct us towards geographic expansion based on their needs. Um, but once, once we decide we're going to move into a, into a certain state or geographic area, uh, the process typically takes months. So, you know, we'll do some data analysis and then, um, look to see where the customers are that are so looking for the support geographically and then, and then we'll begin a land search or, or facility search. Well, now, my understanding is in West Virginia, you actually have not built a facility, but you have facilities now. I know you, you specifically cited one in Roanoke, which having gone to college down here there, I know is not all that far from West Virginia. Sure. Um, so uh, this, this is an expansion without necessarily a footprint in West Virginia, but footprints elsewhere that allow you to serve West Virginia. Sure. So we're, uh, we're we're located in Roanoke, as you mentioned. Uh, we also have a service center in, in Greencastle, Pennsylvania, which is uh, is an abutting uh, community, and in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, as well. So between those three service centers and the support of, uh, of a cartage agent, uh, we'll provide full state coverage. We've got an active land search going on in the uh, Charleston area right now. I see. Now, when you say you're, you know, you, you, you do research to see what your customers needed, would these be customers that have freight that wants to go into West Virginia or customers that want freight to be picked up in West Virginia and maybe brought somewhere else via one of your service centers? Or is it both ways? It, it is both ways. In this particular case, we had, we had a customer, a key customer that was looking for deliveries in the West Virginia market. It was the same reason why we opened Virginia. Uh, earlier in April of 2022, and um, you know this customer had a need, and we looked to exploit the need, and uh, 
So we'll grow the business inbound into the state, and then we'll put a salesperson in and then look to grow the business outbound as well. Right. So right now you have business inbound, but you don't have any outbound business yet? Correct. I see. Do you think you need a service center to grow outbound business? I do, yeah. Yes, I do. We need uh, we need bricks and mortar to show uh, the community what our what our level of engagement is. Um, it provides all kinds of operational flexibility. Uh, it gives us the ability to recruit and retain you know the best possible workforce. You know, once they know that we're committed to the state and uh, and we're very much committed to West Virginia, just like just like Virginia. Right. So, so would you have made this announcement had you not also been committed to building a facility in West Virginia? Probably not. Probably not. I see. Yeah, because it's because you probably wouldn't have put a big announcement out that you're just going to serve serve by driving trucks into the state there and back. Sure. You're you're, you're signaling to the world that there are going to be, as you said, bricks and mortar. That is correct. Now, how big a deal is it, and how big a factor is it uh, in in getting personnel? We we know that it's a factor everywhere. Um, LTL does pretty well in retaining its drivers because many of them are home. Uh, at night, or if they're not home at night, they're not going to be out on the road for you know three, four weeks at a time. Is this one of the biggest concerns about an expansion into a new market? You know, for us, uh, opening a new market is a new opportunity. It gives us the ability to fish in a new pond, and and as a result, uh, is a ninety-eight year old privately held family owned business. Uh, you know, our, our, our product and our employee longevity. Uh, kind of speaks for itself. You know, at Pile, as a privately held family-owned business, uh, you know, we know that our, our drivers and our Pile team is our greatest market, uh, is our greatest competitive advantage in the market. And, and you know, retention is not an issue at Pile. Uh, typically, when we open a new market, uh, we typically get inundated with, with new candidates as well. Well, that's interesting. I mean, you're, you're probably unique in the industry then because <laughs> I don't know that everybody would necessarily agree with you that not that they would disagree with you, but they not, might not describe it for themselves. You, you also describe this as sort of fitting in the last piece of a puzzle. So your whole kind of regional coverage is now full by going to West Virginia. How big is, do you define that region? So for us, the region runs from the North Carolina border to the Canadian border on the I-95 corridor. And then we, we go as far west it's Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, we have a we have strategic partners with Dayton Freight Lines in the Midwest, Southeastern Freight Lines in the Southeast, and with Oak Harbor Freight Lines on the West Coast. All four companies are privately held, family-owned businesses, and we've all agreed not to encroach in in one another's territory. So we, out of the the, the three abutting partners, Pile, Dayton, and Southeastern, no one service West Virginia Direct. And, and we saw that as an opportunity based on customer need to expand into that market and uh, kind of round out our service offering in the Northeast. For us, if we want to be the premier Northeast regional LTL service provider, we need to service more of the Northeast than any of our competitors. And now I feel that we do that. Once once we get Charleston open, uh, we'll do that. But so the obvious question is, are you done? I mean, you, you, you say you have sort of non-compete agreements or you know strategic relationships with other LTL companies. I guess that means that if you have some freight that's coming out of, let's say, one of your customers, one of your service centers that's going into, you know, the Rockies or something like that, you would utilize the services of this partner, correct? That's correct. Okay. So, so go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, so the question is then, okay, I mean, you're a significant LTL carrier, one of the, certainly one of the biggest in the country. Um, and it sounds to me like I, I hesitate to use the term you're done, 
but you have no obvious area to expand. Is that is that correct? And and if that's the case, is is the expansion just by trying to grab more market share in your core area of the Northeast? Yeah. So you're right. There'll be no further geographic expansion. Although we will uh, we'll look to uh, uh, grow with a partnership in, in Canada. Have you know have a play a greater have a greater presence in Canada and then Toronto and uh, Toronto and Quebec. And we'll also maybe look to exploit our, our service offering into Puerto Rico as well in the uh, in the Dominican Republic. Um, our growth, at least as we stand today, is going to be after Charleston opens will be organic growth. So we will we'll we'll put a service center in Erie, Pennsylvania. We'll put a service center in Rochester, New York. We'll put a service center in North. We're building a service center right now in Northeast Northeast Maryland to provide some relief between our Westchester terminal our York, Pennsylvania terminal, and our Elkridge, Maryland terminal. So we'll grow organically uh, to, to further round out our LTL network. Today we have 27 LTL service centers. By the time we're done, my belief is we'll be at 33 or 34 terminals. Okay, define done. What kind of calendar are you looking at? Uh, over the next over the next decade. Next decade. So, okay. so, so yeah. all right. And then, you know, you, of course – I'm not going to ask you what's going to happen 10 years from now. I don't know whether I'll be here or you'll be here. Um, but, uh, th- so this is, this is very clear. And you're, this is the company strategy that you are, you are going to s- kind of, I hate to say stick to your knitting, but that's kind of really what it is. But within that, you're going to learn to knit even better. Sure. Uh, you know, our company strategy really is an integrated service offering. So we, we, we have a, a dedicated, a dedicated contract carriage, um, Operation that this year will do $130 million in revenue. It was a startup in 2013 with one driver, one truck, and one customer. We also have uh, a warehouse and distribution business. Today, we have just about 4 million square feet of warehouse that we own and operate. So our, our, our value prop to our customers is plug the pile branding to your supply chain. And, you know, we can, we can offer you um, asset light brokerage. We can offer you LTL solutions. We can provide dedicated, and we can provide warehouse and distribution. So if you're a customer that's based in the West Coast and you don't want to have bricks and mortar, you don't want to commit asset hard assets to have a warehouse in the East Coast, we'll, we'll offer you, we'll provide that offering to you, and then share, we'll gain share some of some of some of your the customer savings by allowing them. You know, obviously we have no pickup costs, so we have a number of warehouses. Uh, that are attached to our LTL service centers. And I'm not talking about a little room that holds a power to, we, you know, in Greencastle, we have 300,000 square feet connected to an 80-door LTL cross dock. In, in Westfield, Mass., we have 800,000 square feet, uh, of which there's 150,000 square feet connected to a 50-door LTL cross dock. And in Westfield, Pennsylvania, excuse me, West Hampton, New Jersey, uh, we've got 150,000 square feet Attached to a 101 door uh, LTL cross stock, so you know we're we're in all in all key areas where again where I would deem the Amazon effect has positioned Pile well to be responsive to its customers' needs. When you say the Amazon effect, that can be defined as many different ways. Can you uh, you're just talking about e-commerce in general, or is there something more specific? No, uh, e-commerce in general. So for a customer, for example, a customer that's based on the West Coast. Uh, they may let orders drop until six or seven o'clock, eighteen or nineteen hundred Eastern Standard Time. We'll pick that customer's order, drop it into our LTL network, and deliver the freight the next morning. That gives that customer a competitive advantage, and not have to have bricks and mortar in the Northeast, and still get their goods to uh, to market ahead of maybe competition. 
Now, in the Northeast, there was a big shakeup a few years ago when uh, NEMF closed down. Uh, is all this growth of yours and all the fairly ambitious plan driven at all by still maybe fallout a few years later from the closure of NEMF? Um, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, when New England went out of business, they were doing about 9,000 shipments a day. We've hired some senior leaders that worked there at the time of the closure in February 2019. Um, so that business all went to essentially – my boss likes to call it boomerang freight. It ends up at, at a carrier on an interim basis and then may end up someplace else when the dust finally settles. Uh, but where we shared business with New England, we, we did pick up volume. Um, but, you know, there's also one of our primary competitors, New Penn Motor Express in the Northeast was, was acquired. Essentially, it will be swallowed up by yellow or the, the new yellow. And uh, the, their, their brand is going to go away in the market as well. So there's, Again, for you know, in terms of true Northeast regional coverage, you know, right now we're the last man standing. All right. Well, let's let's. Uh, they probably disagree with that at Sia, but anyway, <laughs> I would maybe. Yeah, but the national carrier. Yeah, I know. Uh, so let, let's talk a little bit. Let's come back to the Amazon effect and uh, how much of the growth is is in say trucks that would be more suited for last mile. I mean, you're, you know, there's. There, there's certainly 53 foot trucks that are doing last mile business, but maybe not actually that last mile. They might be serving that, that, that might be the input to the network of last mile. So what are you doing in terms of actual last mile growth? Maybe trucks that are more suited for that drivers who are hired specifically to drive last mile, uh, last mile, uh, activity, uh, deliveries that go into the home. Where's the, what's the, where's the ADP strategy on that? So that, that's a great question. We, uh, it, it pile. Uh, today, we have uh, 150 non-CDL straight trucks. They all have 2,500-pound liftgate capacity. Some have 18-foot boxes. Um, some have 26-foot boxes on them. And again, it, it's equipment that allows us to be flexible with our customers on, on, the, on the delivery side. Additionally, you, you touched a little bit on the driver shortage. Uh, in our environment, it gives us the ability to provide a career path for our, for our dock workers non-skilled employees to give them a career path to go from dock work at night to working during the day, make more money, and then after two years in a in a non-CDL, uh, what we call express solution truck, we'll send them to our truck driving academy, of which we have two, one in Northboro, Mass, and, and one in Westchester, Pennsylvania. The, you know, again, we'll, we'll look at this year, we'll train 50 drivers, 50 CDL drivers uh, that, again, had no CDL, so we'll make that investment in the pile team and, and give those employees a career path. So, you know, out, out of 1,100 P&D drivers that we put on the street every day, about 12, 13 percent have 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 small equipment to accommodate our private residential deliveries. I see. And, and uh, the 50 the 50 CDLs you're graduating from your sort of internal school. How does that compare with the number of people you hire every year who have CDLs? Well, you know, I. Just in, in LTL alone this year, we were we were pretty well staffed. Uh, we probably hired a couple hundred drivers on top of the 50 graduates. You know, on, on the flip side is in our dedicated business unit. You know, that, that's uh, been the growth engine of the organization. And, you know, they probably hired twice what we did in LTL. When you when you let, let's kind of go back to not just West Virginia but also the new facilities you opened up in Virginia, 
how do you grade their success? Can you can you get it down to a, a granular granular OR? Can you say, well, the OR in Roanoke is X, the OR up in you mentioned Greencastle is Y? C- can you get it that that closely, or or how else do you judge the success? Sure. So we look at a number of things, uh, but every every LTL service center in our network has a PL statement. So we, we can get that granular. We look at on-time service. We look at quality in terms of our responsible exceptions or claims ratio. We look at safety issues, safety results and performance. Um, so, again, one thing we don't lack at Pile is data. And, and the data drives our decision-making, um, you know, across our LTL network, certainly, uh, and in our, in our other business units. To, to make the best long-term decision. Again, keep in mind, we're a 98-year-old privately held family-owned business. We're at we're a point of generational transition from the third generation to the fourth generation. So our owners take a long-term approach in everything we do. So when I say I'm open in Virginia, in West Virginia, and that we're, we're committed to the state, I mean that. I mean, I've, I've been at Pile for 12 and a half years. And when I got here, we had 13 LTL service centers. In 1994, we were a one-terminal operation based here in Westchester, Pennsylvania. So you can just look at the last two and a half decades just to see the growth that's taken place. Yeah, that's that's a significant number. I was not aware of that. So congratulations on that. Uh, It's interesting that you could have made 100 years just being a small business for so long. uh, And then, you know, most of your growth will come in the last 25% of that that hundred year cycle. That's, uh, that's really impressive. So uh, let's talk about the business. Uh, the publicly traded corporations are coming out with their quarterly numbers, uh, some pretty significant downturn in LTL tonnage from a year ago. How are things from your perspective? So we look at bill count rather than tonnage because uh, bill count is just a better measurement of uh, business activity. Our bill count has been relatively flat. It's been consistent, but it's it's been flat. It may drop one or two percent. It may go up 90 basis points. We look at year over year. Uh, so in, in the month of uh, November, our business was down 260 basis points, about 300 trips a day. But for the year, we'll be, we'll be just about flat. Which is pretty impressive there. What, what businesses have held up particularly well? Uh, well, you know, we've been aggressive in terms of putting new business in the pipeline. Uh, you know, COVID certainly had its impact because, uh, you know, essentially in 2021, we, we disengaged our sales team, said we were sold out. We grew our business in 21 from existing customers and put very little in the pipeline. And in 2022, we've been focusing on getting out in front of the customers. So, you know, we're doing, we're doing business with companies like Home Depot now that historically we did not do a lot of business with. And the timing is right because, you know, we're going into what the ATA says is going to be a short, not very deep recession. Um, you know, business in, in, in 22 is, has been, uh, to me, it's been historically, it's been flat most of the year. Um, but again, you, you know, when we look back, 2021 was a record year in terms of growth and operating income, and, and 22 will, will not be too far behind it. How much has diesel affected your business? Of course, the LTL carriers and the truckload carriers, uh, but really the LTL carriers run a fairly complex fuel surcharge system to try to get that cost off of you and onto the shippers. How successful has it been given how volatile uh, the market's been, the oil market has been? Yeah. I mean, the diesel has been a, diesel has been a challenge uh, for sure. The fuel surcharge is is really the hedge against that challenge. You know, now what you hear about is, is uh, diesel shortages in the Northeast. 
So we're right now we're looking at uh, things to do. Uh, you know, we have a half a million gallon tank on our corporate offices. We're talking about maybe uh, leasing another half a million gallon tank in New Haven, Connecticut, just to ensure that, again, without fuel, you're out of business. It doesn't matter what the cost of the diesel is at that point. But if you don't have fuel to put in your trucks, you're in trouble. Yeah, let's point out that the DOE weekly diesel price that comes out that everybody looks at for fuel surcharges is a national price, but they also come out with regional prices at the same time. And there were a couple of weeks ago, it started to narrow there, where I'm sure you know that that, that East Coast price, and particularly up in New England, where you're very active, was you know, 80, 90 cents above the national average. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, we look at the Central Central Atlantic average, and we use that to base our, our uh, weekly fuel surcharge adjustment. So, so all your customers pay that Central Atlantic number? If, if they're if unless they're on contract rates, yes. Right, I see. Well, that was one was pretty high too. So anyway, yeah, yeah. we want to thank John Luciani. Great interview, John. I really enjoyed that you came on. He's the COO of uh, a, of LTL Solutions at AWE Pile, one of the larger, uh, but very much regionally based uh, LTL carriers in the country. They've just expanded. They've kind of put the last jigsaw piece into the puzzle by moving into West Virginia with some facilities coming there sometime in the future. John, thanks for joining us to, on Drilling Deep. Thanks, John. My pleasure. Good to be with you. So you have been watching Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freightways TV family of shows and also the Freightcast family of podcasts. You can find us at Freightwaves TV on FreightWaves.com, and you can find us on all the leading podcast platforms. I am your host, John Kingston, and please join us again. <laughs>